You know, during the summertime, as, as many of you already know, this is a, a very special summer for us. Uh, the, the Pierce family are on sabbatical, particularly Brian. Occasionally, like this morning, you'll see some of the Pierces floating around here. Uh, you are allowed to talk to them. That's fine. But, uh, but BP is not here uh, this morning. But we decided a couple of things about this summer. The first thing we decided to do was to, uh, to, to have this theme called One Thing. And uh, the idea of that is, what is the one thing, when we've asked our speakers, what's the one thing that, that the, the Lord's laid on your heart that's just kind of a constant theme in your heart and your life? We kind of pulled that from an old movie um, called City Slickers, where Curly, the, uh, the old grizzled cowboy, uh, talks to one of the guys in City Slickers and says, only one thing is really important. And uh, the response was, what's the one thing? He said, you've got to figure that out. Uh, well, we're asking for one thing from each of the speakers. And we, we not only did that, but we said, let's hear a variety of voices this summer. Uh, and so we've been, uh, had the privilege of bringing people from the outside to come and speak to us, but we're also having family here. Family, I mean people in the context of our church here. And um, next week you'll hear Jeremy Marshall uh, preaching. But uh, this morning we have a very special opportunity to hear from Kevin Fitzsimmons. Now, I know many of you, particularly in the families, know Kevin and Katie. We've already asked Katie to raise her hand and wave. And um, it's a real privilege for me to in, uh, introduce Kevin to those of you who don't know him this morning. Kevin has been part of the Seven Hills family for a long time. He and Katie both went to Berry College. That's where they met and they fell in love. And uh, they both were involved and invested in kids' lives through Young Life while they were in college. When they transitioned out of college and they came here and they've been involved in Seven Hills, they've been deeply invested in the lives of our youth here, both junior high and senior high or middle school and senior high kids. I'm talking spending hours and hours invested in the lives of these kids. And through the midst of this, and, and Kevin professionally, when he graduated from Barry, got involved in working in the lives of kids again in one of the homes in the community. And, uh, and from there has transitioned into uh, opportunity to work at Go-Go Shoes while he is moving on to graduate school. So he's both working, but he's also in graduate school at RTS in Atlanta, downtown. That's Reform Seminary in, in Atlanta. And he's planning on thinking of, of going and planning on going into the ministry. But as he's invested in Seven Hills and he's invested in our lives of our families, we said, boy, it would be really special to, to have Kevin share with us this morning and to share the things that God has placed on his life the one thing God's placed in his life with us. So, Kevin, it's great to have you here. Please come forward and share God's word with us. Check in. Oh, there we go. Good stuff. And I do appreciate the extra lighting so I can see as well. Um, wow, that was quite the intro. I appreciate that, Bob. Um, so, one thing. When Bob uh, let me know that this was going to be the topic I was going to be preaching on, it really, honestly, wasn't a difficult decision for me to make. There is one thing, one piece of scripture that over my life, through the past, especially probably seven or eight years when I've gotten a bit more serious with my faith, that has been popping up. And it doesn't matter what spectrum and what area of life that's in, whether it's relationships or jobs, um, colleges, how do I spend my time? This one thing has been applicable and it's been awesome because it's straight from the mouth of our Savior, and it's just, it's been amazing to see how applicable it is across all areas. Um, and it, preparing for the sermon, it's been an adventure to just see how 
great the depth of that scripture is, and I'm excited and very humbled to be able to be here with you all today and share it with you. Um, But before I share with you what my one thing is, I want to share with you two stories. The first one is of a business owner. This gentleman owns his own business, and he is dealing with a little dilemma because he has an employee that is not too good, just has not been pulling her weight around, and he is at the point where he needs to let her go. But this man is in a pickle because he's a Christian and understands that this woman is a single mother, pregnant with twins, which will be numbers four and five in the home. Obvious pickle. The second story is of a woman who is a Christian as well and is a small business owner. And she has an employee who is great, but he just doesn't seem really happy with where he's at. Hit pause on those stories, and don't freak out because I will finish them later. But for now, I'm actually going to give you all my one thing. Matthew 6.33 states, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's been amazing. No one knew what my sermon was except Bob, but God has done great things in tying in what Jeremy was saying this morning in the music to just be very kingdom-focused. Um, so what does this mean? Well, if we look at the context of it, the context is pretty simple, but it's very powerful. This comes in the end of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. What that means for us is that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is talking to people who are seeking to follow after him. He's talking to us. We know this because the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5.1, states that he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, the disciples came to him. So we can know Because of the context of this, these words are for his people that were seeking to follow him back then, and they are directly for us seeking to follow after him today. So, what does he mean by seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you? We're going to break it down in tiny little segments at a time and check it out. So first, what does it mean to seek? I'm going to borrow from Bob's sermon last week, and the original Greek verb to seek that's used in this word is in the present continuous tense. So this isn't just like, oh, kind of go do this, but it's a, it's a seeking that encourages earnestness and, and a, a continual effort. So it is not a passive activity, but Jesus is encouraging his listeners, he's encouraging us to seek continually and earnestly. Next, we have seek first. When you combine first with the word seek in anything you do, it, can buy, it gives it a lot more depth, a lot more power. Don't just do this, but do this first. Don't just look for this, but look for this first. Jesus is telling his disciples, and he's telling us this, because he knows that we are going to be pulled in multiple different directions. As has been mentioned up here several times this morning, there are so many different things that vie for our hearts and for our minds, for our attention, and to be the number one thing in our lives. And Jesus knows this. Um, within this scripture, what he's specifically talking about, I'm going to read, um, read to you in a second, but it's, a lot of it is daily provisions, daily things that he's going to provide, but we tend to worry about. So I'm going to read from Matthew 6, verses 29 through 33. It's not going to be up on the screen, so if you have a Bible, you can check it out, or just listen up. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Talking about lilies in the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, 
saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he understands, and he's telling his disciples that non-believers are seeking earnestly after these things. Their mind and their heart and their worry goes to these things. But he's telling us as Christians, as his followers, don't do that. Do this instead. Here is what the world is doing. Here is what believers are, non-believers are doing. Here's what we as believers need to be doing. A quick note on something he is not saying He is not saying, and I'm going to address this in more depth later, but he is not saying that we as Christians are going to have any more information or any more clarity about our situations than non-believers. Next word, kingdom. What's a kingdom? A kingdom, simple definition, is an area of a king's dominion or rule where everything done in that kingdom is for the praise, for the glory, and for the honor of that king. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, if we take that kingdom definition, an area of a king's domain or rule where everything is done for the praise, honor, and glory of that king, what is the dominion of reign for God? By definition, it is everything, it is everyone, and it is everywhere. But there are those in the kingdom that do not recognize him as the true king, and they rebel against him. They do not recognize the fact that the only reason they have a home, the only reason food, water, or a job exists is because God, the king, has graciously gifted to them. And verse 32, Jesus is saying that the reason that the Gentiles, the non-believers, worry about these things is because they forget that God knows these things. He already knows that they need these things. It's not like, oh, shoot, let me give this to them because I forgot that they need it. No, that's not how it works. He knows what we need, and he will give it to us graciously. Instead of their minds and hearts seeking after the kingdom and seeking after the king's glory, their mindset is one of worry because they don't trust God. And again, Jesus is giving us clear instructions for us. He's giving clear instructions to his followers that this is what they are seeking first. They are seeking first in the terms of what Jeremy and Bob have talked about. They're building their own kingdom by thinking of these things Here's what you need to do. You need to be thinking about my kingdom. It's a different mindset. Two quick points about the kingdom of God and and really what Jesus was wanting to um, express to his disciples and express to us today what the kingdom of God is. First, what what he does not mean by the kingdom of God. He does not mean to be dwelling continuously on how good heaven sounds. As a man named Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. put it, he's not talking about being so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. That is not what Jesus is talking of. What he is talking about is that the kingdom of God is about the here and the now. It is about how we react in everyday life, in everyday situations. We can, again, we can see this from the argument that, God, that Jesus has presented in this chapter. You've got him listing off all of these things that you can worry about, food and water and clothing. And today we could add so many other things to it. We could add, where am I going to college, paying off loans, paying bills, the future of my child, my marriage is struggling. We can add so many more things to it. But he's saying as Christians, our first 
thing we need to be focusing on is his kingdom and his righteousness. What is his righteousness? I feel like that's a term that's thrown around a lot, but we're kind of like, that sounds great, but what does it actually mean? Here I'm going to quote from a man who is far smarter than I am, who um, has passed away. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor for many, many years, and this is from his sermon on this passage. This means holiness, the life of righteousness. You are not only to seek the kingdom of God in the sense that you set your affections on things above, but you must also positively seek holiness and righteousness. So we are to actively seek to become more holy. This is a charge that Jesus is giving to his disciples. If you're like me, you hear that we're supposed to actively seek to become more holy. You're like, cool, give me direction. What does that look like? Um, we're going to look at two passages, from one from 2 Peter and one from Galatians, that give us some, give us some ideas of how to do that. 2 Peter 1, 5-7 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Another one that will sound familiar to some of you is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying when he says, set your affections on things above, and what Jesus is saying when he's saying, seek his righteousness first, is that these are the things listed in those two scriptures. These are the things that we need to be setting our hearts on. Jesus is telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and to seek to become more holy and more righteous. Another quick note, Jesus is not asking us, thankfully, to be perfect. He is not saying you need to do this and you need to do it perfectly. That is not at all what he is saying. I don't know about y'all, but that, uh, that's a very big sigh of relief because I am nowhere near perfect. Um, but he is saying that we need to be pursuing what makes us more holy. Paul puts it a great way in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. God wants our hearts and minds to be fixed on him. That's, that's what this is all about. And again, this isn't saying we're going to get more answers, we're going to get more clarity, but it's about actively trusting that God will come through on his promises in the midst, in the struggles, and in the ambiguity of everyday life. So, that brings us to the final section of this verse. All these things will be added to you. This is something that can easily and has easily been misconstrued and abused in certain ways um, to try and vow for that as a Christian you will never have any difficulties, you will never have any trials. And again, as you've heard from multiple people up here, that's not the case. These people in here, we do not have this all together. We, as, um, I can't remember who said it, but we're beggars pointing out to where the bread is. That's, That's what it is. And all these things will be added to you. This is great news. This is Jesus saying, be comforted. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God is going to take care of the rest. Uh, Like the verse I read earlier, he reminds his disciples about the lilies in the fields and the beasts of the earth. 
who not once worry about, will God feed me? Will God clothe me? Will he take care of me? Will he give me a place to live? And they are provided for every time without fail. And how much more then will he not fail to provide for us, the ones that he created in his image, he will provide for us. Again, this does not mean that all of your dreams are going to come true and you're not going to have any more struggles in this life. It does not mean that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and you are going to have a lot of clarity in your life because you sought first his kingdom and righteousness. This is confusing, maybe a little frustrating, and it is very crucial to our understanding of this scripture and to our lives as believers in this day. We do not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness to gain clarity or to become better problem solvers. But Jesus directs us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because he understands that we need to trust our Lord God more. Repeat that. We do not need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because we need more clarity or because we want to become more pro- better problem solvers. Jesus directs us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because he knows our hearts and he understands that we need to learn to trust God more. There are numerous situations that every one of us have faced in this room and every one of us will continue to face that we will struggle in and we will not get all the answers that we need. But again, it's not about getting the answers. It is about actively trusting that God is going to take care of you. Putting him first when all these other things are going around. It's actively trusting that he's going to take care of you in the midst of the struggles in the ambiguity of this life. So, I'm about to hit the resume button on those stories. Now that we know what this means, what does this actually, how does this apply to us? So, in those two stories, we'll get back. We had the Christian um, business owner who had an employee who he needed to let go, but she had, a, she had a very rough situation going on at home. And because of his faith, he was struggling with what to do. He could not just cut her loose, which would have by worldly standards, been fine because she was a bad employee, therefore she gets fired. But he couldn't just do that because he knew her situation and he knows God's command to treat others as you want want to be treated, to love your neighbor like yourself. He couldn't keep her around because he was running a business and she was not a good fit for the job. So what did he do? He decided to give her multiple opportunities to improve her performance. And I'm talking way more than the industry standard, trying to help her to give her second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. And then when he did finally have to let her go, he let her go with two months of severance pay, which was not, he had no obligation to do. And trust me, this was not because he just had two months of cash lying around that he could give to her. He did this because he wasn't thinking first and foremost about making money. He wanted to treat this woman with respect and dignity, and he wanted to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he was trusting in God that he would continue to provide for his business. The result? She left on great terms. It was a very good parting of ways, and she was very grateful for him for how he treated her. The a woman who's a small business owner and also a Christian who had the employee who was a good worker, but he didn't seem very happy with where he was at. She helped him 
figure out what he was passionate about. She helped him, even used her own connections um, to figure out something that he was good at, plus what he enjoyed doing, and it set him on a different career path. Initially, this was a loss for her because he was a really good employee and helped their business, but that was not her first priority. Her first priority was for caring for her staff, caring for those under her. She sought first the kingdom of God and trusted that God was going to take care of her business, despite the fact that a lot of people around her would have been like, this is a horrible business decision because this is a great worker that you've got. So what do these things have in common? More importantly, what what do these stories have in common with you and with me? The answer may surprise you. Improv. Life is absolutely full of opportunities and situations where we need to use improvisation to figure out what to do. We have all these plans, and then they get stuff changes, and we have to figure out what to do. Interacting with the homeless, disciplining our children, loving our spouse, deciding where to go for school, making job decisions. The list just goes on and on. In all of these ways, you've got to think on your feet. You've got to be moving. So how, in all of these different situations, can we make this a reality in our lives like Jesus is calling us to? It's your motivations. What is motivating you? The two people in our stories, they were not motivated by making money. They were motivated by glorifying God. They were motivated by dignifying the people and treating with respect the people that were under them, regardless of whether they were a good worker or a bad worker. So are your motivations to make money or your motivations to honor and glorify God and respect and love your staff? When you're disciplining your children, are you doing so out of anger and embarrassment or are you doing so because you love them and you are concerned for the condition of their heart? It's all about godly motivation. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is about having godly motivations throughout every aspect of life. It's just woven in there. And those other motivators, like take for a business owner, making money is not a bad motivator. I would say it's a very good motivator for for someone that owns a business to make money, but it can't be the first motivator. It needs to be moved to the back seat. In the driver's seat needs to be seeking after godly things, seeking after his kingdom. It doesn't even have to be thrown all the way out of the car. Just put it in the back seat and let God and his kingdom and those motivations take over. So we've been talking about extraordinary, or we've been talking about ordinary examples for the most part. But I want to end with an example of an extraordinary example. Uh, end with an extraordinary example of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, we will, we will encounter extraordinary circumstances. Many of you already have. I've just been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, and I'm going to be spending the next 10 years playing with different medications with my doctors, trying to figure out how to make my body not hurt daily. My child is facing court charges, and how am I, how am I supposed to deal with this? Bills are coming due, and my account is running dangerously low. These are not necessarily ordinary. I would say these are more extraordinary situations. But I cannot stand up here and tell you that I have the, well, I can tell you that I definitely don't have the answers for these situations. But I also cannot stand up and tell you that you're going to get the answers that you're necessarily looking for. But that's not the point. The point 
is that we learn to seek God and have our motivations fixed on godly things in all scenarios. So to end, I'm going to give you that story I promised about an, ex- an extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary example of this. Ethan Hallmark was a regular boy. Um, he loved, as he would put it, he was pretty much addicted to baseball at age nine. He was the oldest of four children, living in Texas, having a good time. At age nine, he learned, him and his um, family learned, that he was diagnosed with stage four, uh, a stage four neuroblastoma, which what that is, it's a tumor that's on the sympathetic nervous system. This understandably rocked their world. <laughs> um, there's a group called I Am Second that makes testimonials and puts these videos out about people of all walks of life and it, they get to give their testimony and how they've trusted in God. They heard about Ethan, and they wanted to make a video. Now, normally their videos are like 10, 8 minutes. They're not super long, which makes them pretty nice because they're quick to watch. But as they started making Ethan's video, it was very clear to them that this was not an ordinary circumstance. And they ended up making a 45-minute documentary on the, on the journey of this boy and his family. In the documentary, you get to see um, th- their quintessential thing is there would be like a big white chair in a, in a room where everything else is dark, where whoever's giving the testimony sits in the chair and speaks directly to the camera. And that's how they give the test. That's kind of their, 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 their uh, modus operandi. Um, and in the documentary, you get to hear from both of his parents separately in how they struggle with what is happening to their firstborn child. It is gut and heart-wrenching, but it is also encouraging to see how they are struggling to seek after God, to trust God, while their child is dying from cancer, and there's not a thing that they can do about it. The best part, though, is at the very end of the documentary, when Ethan sits in the white chair, and you get to hear from him about the journey he's been going on through cancer. At this point, he's 13, so he's been dealing with this for four years, and it is known that his time left on earth is very short. Him and his parents have prayerfully decided that they have stopped chemo treatments. They tried, but it was just too excruciatingly painful, and they decided, we're going to stop this, and we are going to love life and celebrate life for as long as God gives it to us. And while he's in the chair, you get to hear him talk about in his words, and this is amazing, just the good things that have come out of the cancer, the benefits of just how he's seen his friend's faith grow because of this situation that they're in. But the very best part, I didn't think about this till this morning, but Ethan's one thing that he had been thinking on, he says he's been thinking on for the past few weeks, and that this has been his focus and will continue to be his focus until he, is, he dies here on earth and goes up to his Lord and Savior. He says more than anything else, he wants to get to heaven and hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thirteen-year-old kid. And that is his focus. My prayer for us here in this church and just Christians all over is that we would grow to trust God more and more with these everyday scenarios 
and in the extraordinary scenarios. Even if we can have the faith of Ethan just a tiny bit, man, what God can do with that. I pray that we can just be examining our motivations to ensure that they are about pleasing God and chasing after godly things first and foremost over everything else. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you so much for your son's words in Matthew 6.33. We thank you not only for recognizing our fallen tendency to place our trust in things other than you, but loving us enough to bring it to our attention and to give us the direction that you know that we need. We thank you, Lord, for being patient with us. We thank you for forgiving us when we do not do this as we should. Help us this week and for the rest of our time to examine our motives with the goal to give you, our King, all of our efforts, all of our praise. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.